Cave Paintings of the Sky Gods. This is the Federal Chronicles radio show for March 9th, 2021. In this paranormal post edition of the Federal Chronicles radio show, Jason Cousin and I, Eric Render King Fisk, discussed an American Airlines passenger jet's close encounter of the second kind in the stratosphere. The University of Copenhagen study that proves our galaxy is teeming with Earth-like worlds thanks to the pebble accretion model for the formation of terrestrial planets. And black holes help astronomers here on Earth find dark matter. In the second half of the show, Jason and I discuss the Creative Evolutions article, a 5,000-year-old Aboriginal cave painting of the Wajina, known as the Sky Beings, and Archaeology World's 10,000-year-old rock paintings depicting aliens and UFOs found in India, and the possible connection between the two that might depict reoccurring global catastrophes. Just as a quick reminder, the Fedora Chronicles radio show is brought to you by our listeners. You can support the show by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chronicles. Or you can buy our products by going to Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Special thank you to all of our listeners who are already supporting the show. Just do a quick search of American Airlines and tell me what is the first news story you come up with. First one is on Fox 8 and it says American Airlines jet has close encounter with unidentified flying object. I'll just read the the first couple of paragraphs here. Uh, Pilots of an American Airlines jet flying over New Mexico say they saw something fly directly over them that they cannot explain. The strange encounter happened over the northeast corner of New Mexico, west of Clayton, New Mexico, as the jet was cruising at um, so yeah, 36,000 feet, traveling around 460 miles per hour. The unidentified flying object sighted was documented by the pilots when they radioed the Albuquerque Center, according to The Drive. Do you have any targets up here? The pilot asked. We just got something go right over the top of us. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really, really fast up here. I wonder, Jay, I wonder with the magic of podcasting. Let me see. I want to see if I can get this. See, guys, this is how the sausage is made because I get an audio (laughs) clip and I'm like thinking to myself. Can we insert it? Can we insert it? Let me just can see. Can we insert this audio clip? Let me see if I can uh, insert Just we're talking about inserting audio clips, you perverts. Get your minds out of the gutter. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, that was, I was, that's what I was listening to earlier. Wondering where the hell you were going with that. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was um, I was following along with my my LinkedIn seminar from Coca Cola, and I I was taking some of their advice. Let's see if we can play this here. This is the real clip. Have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. That I hate to say, this looked like a long cylindrical object. It almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast that went right over the top of us. So yeah, that's the real deal. 
apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, those mic stands are not that expensive. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Drive was able to get a couple of statements from American Airlines about the incident. The first statement did not confirm the encounter. At this time, we do not have any indication. The radio transmission was from the flight crew on board American Airlines flight 2292 on February 20th. However, a second statement had a much different tone. Following a debrief with our flight crew and additional information received, we can confirm this radio transmission was from American Airlines Flight 2292 on February 21st. For any additional questions on this, we encourage you to reach out to the FBI or the Fedora Chronicles. I'm just added that little bit. <laughs> I'm going to reach out to the FBI who um, still can't find Jimmy Hoffa. And ask them about unidentified flying objects. Yeah, sure, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So totally all over that. Yeah. They, will... they haven't been taking my calls since the Hoover administration. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're 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 not they're not going to. Uh the script the um it also continues to say that um the description of a missile like object the pilot gave over the radio also lines up with another encounter the U.S. Navy had that is now commonly referred to as the TikTok, TikTac, TikTac, TikTok, TikTac encounter. TikTac is a delicious little mint snack, and mm. TikTok is a ridiculous video sharing program. Really, I did not know that, Jay. You didn't know that. You didn't know TikTok. Don't you have teenage boys? Yes, I have teenage boys with lives, and they like to play, like, games and stuff like that. They like to, like, play, like, Magic the Gathering. Well, they're probably not telling you about TikTok for they're, a reason. Anyway, continuing. Yeah, they, it's on. like this. Like they say, yeah, we, yeah, that's the last thing Dad needs. Dad does not need another platform to spam. I'm going to play this little <laughs> clip here. My prescriptions use... Damn it! No, I do not know. <laughs> no, I do not need to hear about your your prescriptions. God, do I have to skip through this? Probably. probably. I, I hate it's these... like those. It's like those phone calls I get every morning at about 8.30, 9 o'clock, where they are telling me about the extended warranty on my vehicle being right. in danger of going out. They've been doing it for three years. I'm wondering how long this fucking extended warranty is going to last. My son has a phone. My, 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 our youngest son, Tumble, has a phone. Mm -hmm. And, of course, like he has those. Now he's getting those calls. Oh, jeez. And he must be really happy about that. You know, I don't even own a car. Yep. Hold on a second here. <laughs> this is the audio from the Navy. It sounds weird. Tic -tac. The tic-tac, tic-tac. There's no audio. Where's the audio? They got video but no audio? Oh, they're probably censoring it because if it's a Navy pilot, they're using, shall we say, colorful language. Yeah. Holy shit, did you see that motherfucker? <laughs> I know, Jay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Nope. Nope. Not going not gonna not gonna be able to get that not one. Happening. Because because the audio has been censored. God, that would have made for great pod, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. That would have been that would have been great to have on the show. That would be. So, Bastards. so now, obviously, the question between you and me, which is going to make this make this podcast what it is, 
what is, what is it? What, here's, here's, here's a crazy question here. What could that have possibly have been? Well, I mean, I can understand the pilot kind of freaking out, right? Because he's like, I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing. So, you know, you're doing your day-to-day job. You're flying people, shuttling them off to uh, Cincinnati or Phoenix, wherever the hell you're going, whichever direction you're going in. And you see what could be an intercontinental ballistic missile flying over top of you. I can understand the thought going through the pilot's head at that point being like, Rutterfurk. So yeah, no, um, no, he he was from New Mexico, not Sweden. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Anyway, I can understand the thought going through his head though. Um, Tower, this is flight two two nine two. Did World War Three just start? Yeah, let's see. If, let's <laughs> let's see if this audio will play. Flying out to the west. Oh, thank you. This is better. Yeah. Oh, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, I think, dude. Just cruising on, just trying to follow this. This. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not. It is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's a weird thing. It's now is this is this the navy one or is this the this the is this 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 is the airline. navy one this is the one that i tried to play earlier so the wind is going at 110 knots right that's like storm level wind right 110 knots even in high altitudes <laughs> yeah they're, they're they're trying to follow this craft and it's going it's it's going far far too fast for them to keep up and keep track of it. Right. So now that was a while ago. That happened in 2004, right? Yeah, here it is, October 2004. Uh, when did this? When did this? Uh, it says in the article right here, October 2004. Yeah. So they just finally released this video after. So here's the question. Yeah. Do these craft? Right. Are they possibly being sent here by the Amuamua? I don't know. Because that was a long cylindrical shape as well. Or is it from the same? Is is it from the same people? Is this from from the same race? This, I mean, here's why I think that this is newsworthy, and we've covered this in earlier episodes. It was next to near impossible to get to the government to actually admit that pilots were actually seeing these things. It was next to near impossible to get them to confirm that that this is what actually happened. And it was just like, you, there was a time you don't want a pilot to see UFOs while he's flying and admit to it for several other reasons. First of all, flying is scary enough as it is. Do you really want to have a pilot who's hallucinating if there, are, if there aren't any UFOs there to be seen? Do you really? Right. Second, and and it's, it, it's job security. They right. want to continue having their job. Right. And, and also... Um, do you really want to be, there used to be a time where the government does not want to admit that there are UFOs, there are flying objects that they cannot, um, 
they cannot well, explain. Upon a time, apparently, because now it's like, oh shit, we're just going to report on it every time. Yeah, it we're just we're just going to release it whenever it happens because it's like that's what the people want. Give the taxpayers what they want. But the idea, right. but um, in several of the books that I've read, one of the reasons why the government does not like to disclose that there are UFOs, there are flying saucers, is because that gives away their illusion of control. If there are objects in the sky that they cannot explain and they could and and they can't touch they can't take down they can't there's they they have no effect protect us from they can't protect us from this then what's the point of having you if but the thing is is that these things aren't as far as we know with the exception of some stories that we are going to cover later in a future episode pretty much these ufos like don't want to have anything to do with airplanes from right they, they just take off they they yeah, don't they care just, they got other things yeah, to they, do they take off as soon as they realize they've been detected they take off and they take off at like ridiculously high rates of speed right Hypersonic. that we couldn't possibly hope to keep up with yeah absolutely so, yeah and Absolutely. it's funny because there's a party that realizes at some point that yeah they're just fucking with us yeah you know what I mean? It's like the kid who has a jar of ants and he's just tapping on the glass. Yep. You know, that's basically what they're doing. Exactly. So pretty much. I'm not sure if that makes me feel good or bad or what. I haven't quite sorted through those particular emotions yet, but I don't know. I think the idea of aliens coming and looking at us from afar makes more sense than like aliens coming down capturing some of us and shoving probes up our asses that just as a premise makes more sense to me yeah you know like if what happens when we find a a new species for example right oh yeah we try and observe it as much as possible um you know 100 years ago they would hunt it and then dissect it but nowadays we're a little more intellectual about our entire approach and let's not kill the thing we've never seen before. Let's see if we can figure out what the hell it is and what's going on. Hopefully people capable of interstellar travel are more of the latter bend than the former. At least that's what our hope is. Doesn't make you wonder though, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think that it's really exciting that the government is saying, yeah, this is, they're really seeing these things. And it was just like, right. I, I think it's because our generation is slowly starting to, to take over. All the things that we said that we would do when we were teenagers, when we got to this age, we're actually doing. Right? Like, um, it's kind of comforting, actually, to an extent. Right. And I think that one of the things that I'm also going to do that I promised that I would do is I, I, I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to grease the hinges on that door that just squealed. If you heard that. <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. All right. Here's another story that I wanted to cover. And this is, this is a, one of those, um, this like, this feeds right into my confirmation bias. This is from, um, the news site, new, uh, SciTech daily. The Milky Way may be swarming with planets that have continents and oceans like Earth. 
And this is from the um, University of Copenhagen, of all things. And this is published on February 23rd, 2021. According to a new study from the University of Copenhagen, Earth, Venus, and Mars were created from from small dust particles containing ice and carbon. The discovery opens up the possibility that the Milky Way may may be filled with aquatic planets. Astronomers have long been looking into the vast universe in hopes of discovering alien civilizations. But for a planet to have life, liquid water must be present. I'm going to interject here and say life as we know it. Know it. And life as we know it. The chances of that finding scenario. That's an awkward sentence. Did I read that right? The chances of that. It's not a Copenhagen, dude. Right. English is not their first language. Right. Impossible to calculate because it has been the assumption that planets like Earth get their water by chance, if large icy asteroids hit the planet, now researchers, researchers from Globe Institute at the University of Copenhagen have published an eye-opening study indicating that water may be present during the formation of a planet. According to the study's calculations, this is true for both Earth, Venus, and Mars. Our data suggests that water was part of Earth's building blocks right from the beginning and because the water molecule is frequently occurring there's a reasonable probability that it applies to all planets in the milky way the decisive point on whether liquid water is present is the distance of the planet from its star professor andreas johansson from the center of star and planet formation who has led the study that is published in the Journal of Science Advances. And we also have a link to this. Science Advances, the actual study, the actual paper, is a pebble accretion model for the formation of the terrestrial planets in the solar system. And this is published just a couple of, oh, this is like published almost 10 days ago. Um Oof. Uh, the 17th of February, 2021, the abstract. I don't know if I want to read the abstract. It's, it's very sort of, it's filled with a lot of technical jargon. Pebbles of millimeter size well, are abundant. In the interest of those, those people that are listening to the show and playing the drinking game, we may want to skip. That. We may, we might want, might want to save we their just, livers. <laughs> we don't want to be responsible for alcohol poisoning. Exactly. But it, it is, it's, hey, look, it's, um, you can download this um, paper. We're going to link to it on, oh, and there's all, oh, my God, there's graphs and there's math formulas and, and. Um, the, well, the internet does love graphs. Yep. Hey, hey, Jay, I think that we found the cure for us insomnia right here. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. So. Let me see if I can encapsulate this, everything you just read. Basically, what they're saying is planets don't develop water on their own. It has to be brought there. So therefore, when a planet is formed, something has to, a giant like iceberg has to crash into the planet in order to start creating water. Right. And since life as we know it is 100% dependent upon water, that's how life is created. No, now they're now they're saying that water was always present. Comets were always present that brought water. It's it's not something that's not it's not something that just happened by chance. The the formation of solar systems 
all over the Milky Way galaxy and and beyond. Like water is one of the earliest components in the form of of of, of comet ice. That's what that's what that's saying. Okay, so it's it's saying that that is basically a requirement for life on the planet yes. as we know it. Okay, I mean, I guess it's you know, sure. Okay, <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. That's, exactly. Yeah. All right. That's great. Just more yeah. more confirmation that Earth-like planets are everywhere. So yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just I, I'm just excited by the fact that once we get faster than light communication um, technology, we we can beam their podcast to those worlds as well. So, <laughs> well, you know, I think it's really vitally important that you know those people out on Alpha Centauri start listening to I Love Lucy reruns. They probably, just, they probably they probably are getting them already. They they've probably been getting them for a couple of years now. You got to wonder though, are they out there on Alpha Centauri, like kicking back on a Sunday night? Oh, the latest transmission of Lucy is coming here. Lucy, <laughs> you got some splaining to do. You know, are they like kicking back with like a couple of brewskis and bowl of popcorn, listening to the interstellar broadcasts? Or maybe they're tuning into them like that. It's like like Lucille Ball and Ricky Arnez are like the, the ambassadors, the top ambassadors from the planet Earth. <laughs> and that the, and, Right. And, I mean, now here's the thing, right? What if they don't have a storytelling background like we do on Earth? What if this alien life form looks at everything from a completely purely factual lens, right? right. Like some, some sort of jacked up version of the Vulcans, right? <laughs> yep. And then they're getting this, this, series which they're going to think is a full-on documentary of life on the planet and they're are, are they thinking like oh this explains how life on this far-flung planet died out you know i mean <laughs> is this <laughs> apparently the spousal units are in great conflict with each other human females are crazy <laughs> <laughs> Greetings. Could you just imagine like the aliens land on the White House lawn and they say, we will greet you in your vernacular. Lucy, you have some splaining to do. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> if all of their language comes from I love Lucy, they're going to have like everyone speaking in that mid-Atlantic accent, except for <laughs> random males with dark hair have to speak with the Hispanic <laughs> accent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, ain't right. Maybe, maybe television wasn't such a great idea after all. <laughs> Little do they know, I love Lucy. Set back interstellar communications <laughs> by centuries. <laughs> Listen, we do not want to contact humans whose females do not know how to properly work in a chocolate factory. We do not. <laughs> right. Exactly. Why is this human female throwing so many chocolates in her mouth? Well, the conveyor belt keeps moving. Yes. But why doesn't she just let it fall off the end? We do not know. So should we travel and speak with this species? Hmm. Better not. Let's go to Venus instead. Ah. <laughs> uh. That ain't right. That 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 ain't that ain't right. What other new <laughs> what other news items did we want to cover? Because I wanted to say save the last one. Um, 
You want want to save the the twinkling black holes for last? No, no, no. I want to say I, I I wanted to save the picture of the insane asylum for last. Oh, okay. All right. You didn't send me that one. What the hell? What are you, you talking about? It's I, I'm um, it's it's in it's in our Fedora Chronicles Facebook group. I posted it yesterday morning. Did you really? I really Why the hell did. Didn't it show up on my feed? Fucking hell! I'm telling you, Mark. Z Mark this is Mark Zuckerberg's way of sabotaging the show. Yeah, he's they're just he's just keeps fucking with us. Uh, okay, that one I saw. Uh, do, 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 do. Here we go. It's the it's the one right after Bob posts a picture of himself on a balcony, um, smoking a cigar. Oh, I see it. So we're gonna save. I, I want to save that one for last. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. So let's talk about um, the the ghost in the picture. That's the one I was saving for last. But no, okay, you know what? Right. Hey, no, no, hey, right. no, 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 hey, no, no. Let's let, look. No, no, look. no, no, no. Let's do the twinkling first. Let's twinkle. Let's let's twinkle before we get in, get into the ghost things because it would be too accurate to talk about ghosts and then twinkle. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. <laughs> wow, that got weird fast. Yeah. Well, you know. All right. So anyway, the, according to Wired, and when did when was this? You know, I really miss the days when they actually put a fucking deadline. Oh, here it is, February twenty fourth. Here we go. Twinkling black holes reveal an invisible cloud in our galaxy. At first, Wang Ming Wang was not excited. More relieved, maybe. The first year after physics PhD student at the University of Sydney sat in front of her computer, looking at images in which she'd found the signals, the signs of radio waves from distant galaxies twinkling, just as she hoped. But because Wang's discovery relied more on scouring ones and zeros than peering through a telescope, and the discovery itself was just plain weird, it took a while for the moment to hit. Radio wave twinkling, known as scintillation, happens when the radio signals from sources like stars and black holes get interrupted as they stream toward Earth. So, like we know, like stars twinkle in our sky when we look up at them because of the atmosphere, right? Right. So it turns out, same shit happens with radio waves. Yes, go on. So... Wang found hallmarks of scintillation from six galaxies at once. All right, I skipped a section, right? Detecting scintillation from distant galaxies is very rare. Only a tiny fraction of the night sky will yield these signals, and most telescopes are unable to capture variations <clears throat> on such fast timescales. But Wang found hallmarks of scintillations from six galaxies at once, and a five appeared to be separate galaxies in a tight, straight line. Quote, I realized, okay... So this is the first detection of such unusual shape in the sky, end quote. That is definitely the first time, and it will imply we found some invisible thing. So at that moment, I started to understand this exciting result. What excited Wang's team wasn't actually the radio waves, each beaming in from billions of light years away. It's what was blocking them, making them momentarily flicker. They believe it's an invisible cloud of cold gas right in our galactic backyard, and that clouds like it may answer a long-standing puzzle about why more than half of the galaxy of the Milky Way's matter is AWOL. Cosmological simulations predict about 95% of all matter is dark energy and dark matter, leaving only 5% for the baryonic matter made of protons and neutrons. But half of the total baryonic weight has been unaccounted for. So... Not only is 95% of our matter shit we don't understand, but half of the matter we do understand doesn't exist. We can't find it. 
Right. And it's all because of gas. Pumbaa, with you, everything's gas. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. I mean, this is this is going to take a while to sink in, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea that we're finding more and more evidence of states of matter or different kinds of matter is sort of like, um, you kind of like want to rub it in people's nose who made fun of you for reading science fiction. And that, right. that and, and and saying oh that that kind that kind of that that's impossible because of like you know physics as we understand it and you and it's like well but what if they find these elements that that have these like special unique properties to them oh no that's just science fiction uh, that, that that's that that could never possibly exist and then turns right and what was science fiction decades ago when we were kids God was it decades ago anyway decades when ago. we were kids what was science fiction a lot of it's now becoming fact. Look at the flip phones, right? The first cell phones were flip phones. Flip phones. Why were they flip phones? Because of Star Trek. Right. So, yeah, all of you people picking on me for being a nerd when we were a kid, fuck you. Exactly. Um, this is one of these, this specific news item, is that, you know, scientists are keep coming up with new discoveries, or they keep making these new discoveries and they say, oh, 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 holy cow, this is like, this is incredible. This is wild. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe that we are, are discovering evidence of just this wild exotic matter. And, 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 and so much of what we're going to have, what we know about physics is going to have to be rewritten. And it's like, on the one hand, you got, you have some people who are going to like be sticks in the mugs and they're going to like, like plant their feet and says, no, no, there has to be a better explanation. And then there are these other wide-eyed dreamers who got into science and astronomy and physics specifically for these new discoveries. Um, to me, this is a validation. To me, this is, this is kind of like, um, if you can dream it, if you can think it, you can be it. Oh no, no, that's, 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 that's from, that's from my, um, um, be less nerdy uh, seminar that I uh, that I was reading up on. Um, no, I mean it's it's like one of those things where it's like this is also this is great information, but the thing is, is that what are the practical applications for this here on Earth? There are people who are going to be scratching their nose, saying, "Oh, it's like okay, yeah, that's great. That's way, way, way out in space. How is that going to affect us here on Earth?" Right. Well, the truth of the matter is that we don't know. Right. It's like, how long was it before they realized that solar flares from our sun affected us as much as they do? Right. If we have a massive solar flare get released from the sun, the electromagnetic consequences of that, the electromagnetic wave generated by that solar flare will hit the earth. It's been known to affect cell phone communications, um, any any form of wireless communications, like when we're beaming radio signals to and from satellites. All of that gets affected by these electromagnetic waves generated by these solar flares. And we didn't even realize that until like the early 2000s or late 1990s. Yeah. Right. So for me, anyway, I look at all of that and I'm it's just evidence. It's to me that we don't know shit. The more we learn about especially outer space, but even life on our own planet, the, the more we realize we don't know a lot. We don't know shit, which is why things like 
for me anyway, um, Graham Hancock and a lot of the 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 more I don't want to say avant garde, but I can't think of a better right. phrase for it. Archaeology that's going on out there, where they're actually challenging a lot of our long held traditional knowledge and understanding of history. That's where it fascinates me because if modern humans have been on the earth for over 100,000 years, did we really only generate societies in the last 6,000? What did we do for the previous 94,000 right. hanging around in, in our underwear, you know, scratching our asses? Like, what's next? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to wonder about these things. Well, here's the other thing that um, I, I think the basic theme of this episode is um, uh, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Now, this is an, a really interesting article that I had sort of been saving for the episode that we were going to do. Because um, I had a collection of, um, wouldn't it be cool to talk about these articles? Oh, yeah. And I just sent you a link via Messenger. Oh, well, I read this. Yeah. I, I found this on my own. I was going to send it to you, but then my boss said, hey, what are you doing? Um, yeah. it's but, I mean, gr and, but granted, it's a year-old article, but we've been waiting to talk about this for a while. And right. maybe we should do an entire episode on how do you pronounce these people you read the article you you okay, read the headline so the headline is a 5,000 year old aboriginal cave painting of the wangina known as the sky beings now the wangina this is from the aborigines of australia this is part of what they're one of the i don't want to say characters one of the people of what we we think they refer to as dream time right right and i say it that way because you know their own language. We just interpret that as dream time. So the article starts off, uh, the facts 50 or 5,000 year old cave art from Australia depicts strange beings that resemble what many perceive to represent the modern day gray alien. These beings were known as Wangina, cloud spirits and sky beings reflect on ancient cave art depicting peculiar beings has been found all over the world dating back thousands of years. Perhaps these beings weren't really mythical. Those who have gone deep into the lore associated with the UFO and extraterrestrial phenomenon are no doubt aware just how far back the phenomenon may go. Today, the UFO phenomenon is documented quite well and is taken very seriously as in the past decade alone, it's gained a tremendous amount of well-deserved credibility. There is also the fact that the documentation of this phenomenon dates back thousands of years. There are multiple cases outlined throughout history and many of them you can find in Dr. Jacques Vaillant Balls Baye's book, Wonder in the Sky. Yep, Jacques. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to miss. I was going to um, correct your pronunciation. Then I realized I I, I am I'm in no position to <laughs> correct anybody's. Boy, the balls of me to think that I can have a podcast <laughs> with a slight speech impediment. Oh my God, <laughs> this is why people drink. I mean, listen to us. So. <laughs> <laughs> but how far back does the documentation go? Discoveries of ancient cave art all over the world raised some interesting questions in artwork in the form of cave paintings that were discovered in Kimberley, Australia. These specific paintings I am referring to were created approximately 5,000 years ago by the native Aborigines, and they illustrate entities that they refer to as the Wangina, or sky beings. According to Richard Dolan, one of the world's leading UFO researchers, in the Aboriginal tradition, these beings were part of the beginning of creation and had power over nature. 
One of them even became the Milky Way. When looking at the haunting images of the Wangina, it's easy to think of gray aliens, oversized heads, no hair, large black eyes, no ears, no mouth, and pure white skin. Until the modern era of UFOs and depictions of ET beings, scholars had no point of reference for the Wangina. No way to understand why these native Australians would create god beings so radically different in appearance from themselves. And according to Encyclopedia Britannica, Wangina style, also spelled Wangina, type of depiction in Australian cave paintings of figures that represent mythological beings associated with the creation of the world. Called Wangina figures, the images are believed by modern Aborigines to have been painted by the Wanginas, prehistoric inhabitants of the Kimberley region in northwest Australia, the only area where cave paintings in the Wangina style have been found. Among the Aborigines, each Wangina image is renovated or repainted by the oldest living member supposedly descended from its originator. Based on everything we know now, maybe these beings aren't quite mythical, as suggested. Many scholars also emphasize that they were considered cloud spirits. Again, there are many such strange depictions found all over the world. For example, not long ago, more paintings were discovered by scholars in Chittisgarh, India. According to archaeologist J.R. Begat, these paintings depict extraterrestrials. The Chittisgarh State Department of Archaeology and, and Culture was planning to seek the help of NASA and ISRO for research regarding the paintings. That's the last I heard about that. So the other thing, too, that this reminds me of is like the Hopi Indians in the southwest United States have a tradition of their origin story is that we came out of the ground and we were helped by what they call the ant beings. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the ant beings or the ant people, they look suspiciously similar to the greys as well. I'm going to, I'm going to send you an article that's also um, couple this with what you just read and read the first okay. couple of paragraphs of this. All right. This is just published this is from Science Magazine. It was published February 5th. Mysterious Australian rock art may depict the chaos following rising seas. Ooh. When lost Australian rancher Joseph Bradshaw stumbled across the dancing mulberry colored figures painted on the rock shelter in the northwestern Kimberley region in 1891, he was mesmerized. They looked like no rock art he had seen before. Since then, the slender, detailed figures, now known as Guayans, have puzzled archaeologists who didn't know when they were painted or by whom. Now scientists have used tiny specks of charcoal and fossilized wasp nests to come up with a new date for the painting, 12,000 years ago. So I have a question about that. Yeah. just yeah. Tiny specks of charcoal and fossilized wasp nests indicates fire. Yeah. How is that tied to the rock art? Just, we, just, we'll just, just read on. Just read on. Okay. You're almost so, there. You're almost there. <laughs> it's fantastic, said University of Wollongong geochronologist, geochronologist Richard Burt Roberts, who wasn't involved in the work. Two decades ago, he used the test to date the Guayans using a different technique. The new dates, he said, are solid. Until now, we've been struggling. Dating the ancient works of art is hard for many reasons. The thousands of figures, which feature exquisitely detailed headdresses, tassels, boomerangs, and spears, were painted on rock shelters with mineral ochres that simply aren't datable. Stylistically, the paintings are very different from nearby Wangina art, 
characterized by spirit figures with huge dark eyes that are part of a mythology still embraced by today's Aboriginal people. The charcoal often used for the Wangina eyes allows for radial carbon dating and puts the age of these paintings at up to 5,000 years, but the Guyon palette did not appear to include charcoal. To overcome that problem, Roberts and colleagues had turned to scores of ancient wasp nests speckled across the rock faces. There I go, jumping ahead again. Like the artists, mud wasps are partial to rock shelters, and they built some nests directly on top of the paintings, meaning the paintings are older than the nests. Using an optical technique that measured how long quartz sand grains had been buried inside, Roberts and colleagues dated a single large nest and determined that the painting under it was more than 17,000 years old. The only problem, the technique could be used to date only large nests whose contents hadn't been exposed to the sun. And some researchers were skeptical the nest and paintings could be linked. Roberts concedes, in the 90s, we barely knew what we were doing. Well, now here's, here's the thing, and I don't know why I made this, this connection. Mm-hmm. Whereas is like we looked at the first article about the the Wajinas and how the stories of the star people. And then you have this other set of paintings about like and it says the mysterious Australian rock art may depict chaos following the rising seas. I don't know why I made this connection. Like somehow these two collections of paintings that are dated now they're dated or maybe around the same time. Am I getting something out of this? Like, perhaps, maybe, these well, the, sky people helped this tribe of people because of, like, the, the the chaos from the rising seas from some kind of cataclysm. I don't know why I made that connection. Well, the these the chaos from the rising seas, is, they, they're dating that between twelve and 17,000 years ago, whereas the Wangina are closer to 5,000 years ago. So you're talking... 12,000, 7 to 12,000 year difference between those two things. Now, what's interesting to me about this is if you look at the old rock art from the Akkadians, like Enki and Inu and all of that, yeah. you will see that some of their gods are depicted as having wings and some are depicted as wearing fish skins, right? Yep. Now, you combine that with the oral mythologies and histories dating back thousands of years as some sort of the, the picture that we're getting is there's some sort of conflict between sky gods and either underground or underwater gods, right? Mm-hmm. There is some sort of conflict between the two. In Native American lore, depending on what part of America you're from, in like around the Great Lakes region and what is known mostly as the Anishinaabe peoples, their mythology depicted a group of what they called underwater panthers in conflict with the Thunderbirds. If you go further to the southwest, it becomes a conflict between the horned serpents and the thunderbirds. Now, the image of the horned serpent is something that is common throughout most of the world. So you have horned serpent images dating back thousands of years in Europe, in the Middle East, in uh, parts of Africa, not in, in sub-Saharan Africa, but not in like Saharan Africa, not in the desert area, more in the jungle area. You have horned serpent images in China, in Japan, and in the Philippines, and Indonesia, right? So what I'm wondering is this great flood, right? The rising of the seas and the images that you're seeing here, 
is that just another civilization's interpretation of that same conflict between the sky beings and the underwater beings? Yeah. You know, and those are the things that to me is absolutely fascinating about our ancient history is those oral traditions and those stories that are spread and have been spread through generation after generation after generation. One of the mnemonic devices that has been used the world over is to associate it with music. So like in ancient times, didn't matter what tribe you were, there were people who were responsible for telling the stories and they memorized these stories using a sort of rhythm and lyrical quality to their storytelling, which is why when you read a book or when someone is reading a book, there's a tempo and a rhythm to how they read because our minds are naturally geared that way. And they've actually done studies and proven that that lyrical quality, that musical quality to that storytelling helps people remember things exactly. For example, we've all played the old game of telephone where, you know, you whisper something in someone's ear and then they whisper in someone else's ear. And you go down 10 or 15 people, and by the time you get to the other side, the message has been corrupted. If you sing a lyric to a song, you can pass it down hundreds of people, and it'll be a lot more accurate. It's because of the way our minds respond to yeah. those rhythms and respond to music in general. So it's fascinating to me that we've got, just in Western Australia, you've got the Guayan and you've got the... I'm forgetting the name now, the one Gina, right? Are those just yet another interpretation of the underground or underwater beings versus the sky beings? Is that part of that? And is that an indication of, is that an indication of alien visitation? Or, because I mean, even if you go down the Judeo-Christian Abrahamic religion, right, we have angels and devils. Devils are thought to be Cathonic. They're thought to be underground beings versus the angels who are the sky beings. And not in all cases, but in many cases, the sky beings are thought to be quote unquote good, where the underground beings are thought to be quote unquote bad. But that's not 100% true. It doesn't always follow through like that. So it's really fascinating to me that you that we have all of this all around the world. And it's easy to find out. All you have to do is just Go on Wikipedia and look into these ancient stories. And you can draw the links yourselves just by looking at what is being told, right? Now, the other fascinating thing about all this is all of the, the caves that have been found, like in the Middle East and all of that, these massive cave systems that have been hewn out of the rock. And people used to live there or used to be able to live there. We don't really know. And that last part that we don't really know is what's fascinating to me is there a reason why they needed to have caves as a place to go to now i don't buy the theory that it was to protect them against raiders but it was certainly to protect them against something yeah and we are also yeah. talked about gobekli temple uh-huh take a shot if i mispronounce that um and a lot of it just doesn't seem to make a, a, a ton of sense. Whereas it's like they built this this giant facility out in the middle of the desert that every time they dig deeper and deeper, they find that it's far larger than they originally thought. And it was, why did they build this? One of these theories is that this is a, a, a warehouse 
for, I guess, scrolls and and texts to um, archive all the knowledge from something bad that was about to happen. And then they buried right. this whole thing. They they buried this. And it's like some people say that it was like, it was like, um, you know, for trade and commerce. And a lot of people, but there weren't any trade or commerce areas. They're hunter-gatherers. They're hunter-gatherers. And yeah. it was like, it, it just did not seem to make a lot of sense. And of course, I think it's Graham Hancock who said that it was just like, they knew this horrible cataclysm was coming. And it was like, and he claims that they have found these inscriptions of, of a star chart and like what looks like a comet. And it's like something awful was happening or something awful was about to happen. And th- these, um, these people somehow um, had this giant leap in, I don't want to say technology, but technique. They suddenly learned how to do um, uh, masonry and and other building techniques that weren't supposed to be around for thousands of years. They suddenly knew how to do all this stuff, built this thing in 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 the desert and abandoned, and then forgot all these like techniques and how to how to build. And people are probably like freaking out because I'm not telling the story <laughs> correctly. I wasn't prepared <laughs> for this. The um. But the thing is, it was just like we keep finding these cave paintings and cave drawings and just this evidence that there was this horrible cataclysm. And and maybe this horrible cataclysm hasn't happened just once. Maybe it happens once every, let's say, 20,000 years. Well, it certainly seems to be on a predictable timetable, time right? If everything that we're reading is correct. Yeah, no, notice how we qualify our remark by saying if everything that we read is correct. But the thing well, is, is that we kind of have to, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's like you do have these people who just say, "Oh, well, I absolutely, totally know that this is what really happened and it's going to happen again." Well, no, you don't know. Um, right. I do think that it's very, it's very interesting that the the legend of the sky people, as it were, just keeps coming up over and over again. And they do suspiciously look like gray aliens or as we refer to as gray aliens. Right. Um, I think that that's very interesting. But the thing is, is that I think that so much information has been lost over the decades. I don't think that we're able going. We're not. I don't think we're going to be able to piece everything together just yet because every all the data, as it were, has been so corroded and um degraded because it's been buried underneath um uh, the surface of the earth and in caves i don't think that we're ever going to really get a full story well to some extent we can't ever get the full story because the truth of the matter is archaeology for all its science-based methodology is still based on conjecture it's all a guess we're assuming that, like Gobleki Tepe, for example, we're assuming at first that that was some sort of trade center. In an era when we were all just hunter-gatherers, they were evidently able to come up with some way of trade and barter. Right. While also simultaneously being able to engage in a form of construction and rock art that was centuries ahead of anything that we found contemporarily in the area or anywhere else in the world, right? These cave paintings that they're talking about, I'm talking about the, um, the Guion 
cave paintings here. Those are dated from 12,000 to 17,000 years ago. Gobleki Tepe is dated to that same time frame, 12,000, 10, 12,000 years ago. And these are three-dimensional bas-relief carvings into rock. And then why the hell did they bury it, right? Now, if you look at it as a narrative of the conflict between the sky people and the underground or underwater people, well, if all of that was dedicated to, say, the sky people, and then the sky people lost that conflict, you could definitely see them saying, all right, bury that. We don't want any temples to dedicate it to our enemies because they lost. They're losers, right? Right. And the other thing that's fascinating to me is like some of the symbology. Graham Hancock is a big one of this handbag of the gods thing. It shows up in Mayan art, shows up in Aztec. Um, also, it's shown exclusively at Gobeleki Temple. Well, not exclusively, but extensively, extensively at Gobeleki yeah, Temple. Yeah. You know, so what does that represent? Well, is that an actual thing that the sky people carry? They all walk around carrying purses. Is it as some archaeologists suggest, or um, as some archaeologists suggest, is that some sort of representation of a common item like a bucket that they carried around? Well, regardless of whether you look at it as a handbag or a bucket, it seems that that is some way that they're carrying something. Right. And if you look at the way, even in the Hindu depictions of these things, they're always being carried as if they're being offered to somebody. Yeah. Right. So what if that is a representation of the way they're carrying knowledge? So they carry their knowledge and they're giving it to someone else. It's a, a way of their of of them to express portable knowledge. And how different is that from us, say, handing a thumb drive from one person to another or or a laptop bag or a laptop bag, something like that. And it could be even just that. They're not handing them some sort of high-level technology with batteries, but are they handing them something like, here, we've given you the tools. Here is your tool bag. Now you can go and use this knowledge that we've right. given you. So it could still be very much a representation instead of a literal thing. But it's it's interesting to me the universality of it, right? right. You find it all over the place, and you find that same mythology that same narrative of sky versus underwater or underground beings right that commonality throughout the entire world is what fascinates me you know what is it that we are now seeing evidence of sprinkled over top like you know uh, like salt spread over you know your your dinner at night we're seeing all of these little teeny granules what is the big picture? And are we ever going to be able to get enough pieces to actually see the big picture? You know, it's just it's fascinating to me. This all of this alternate archaeology, I guess, is a way of phrasing. That. Right. It, it drives me crazy how so many people are saying, no, no, it's like you're 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 oversimplifying it. Because the thing is that it was just like you're, you're talking and it's like I'm looking, clicking through all the links that I had saved for this such an episode. And of course, the thing is, another link had popped up. 10,000-year-old rock painting depicts aliens and UFOs found in India. This was published, this news story was published February 4th, 2021. And it was just like, and this, uh, dude, this is this is an archaeology world. I'm not exactly sure if, I mean, how 
um reliable how reliable is this is this um news organization and you look at this and it was just um yeah i'm 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 sorry that i actually get some people you know <laughs> revved up on this topic but it was like you know and a publication such as archaeology world is now jumping on the bandwagon as it were and saying that this is this is a 10,000 year old um rock paintings depicting aliens and ufo's found in india that's kind of like that's that's kind of extraordinary well right and it also indicates that that same time frame in individual civilizations all over the world because aren't the rock paintings from france dated also to that same basic time frame 10,000 right. years ago right so all of these civilizations all over the world suddenly at this around the same time started painting images on walls you know maybe not suddenly is a way to phrase it but around that same time all of these individual civilizations separated by thousands of miles are doing the same thing within the same time frame so that means one of two things either that knowledge was pat was given to all of those individuals those civilizations or those civilizations were in contact with each other meaning that our far-flung ancestry was able to travel and communicate over much greater distances than we ever thought it sort of breaks the the paradigm well it does and, and what it means is that there is a foundational shift that needs to happen in the archaeological world where they have to be willing to realize that the story they've been selling us and telling us for decades if not centuries is wrong right yep and that's not even getting into the more outre things like giants and stuff like that this is just shit that is literally you can look at the writing on the wall and say huh you know what you might be off by a few things here yeah exactly you know so you look at the commonalities all around the world Either everyone all around the world was having the same delusions and smoking the same shit, or there was something going on that they were all observing right. at the same time. There was something huge going on. There was something huge, exactly. absolutely birthing. And then, of course, and we're not even getting into the Matabarata, like right. what they call ancient India Star Wars. Yeah. You know, we haven't and even the seen the old Vedic tests and all that. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is a, a perfect place to um, close out this episode, talking about how um, we're not going to let this go. <laughs> we're not going yeah. to. Um, we're we're going to be like following this. I think that we should do another uh, episode dedicated just to ancient aliens. Absolutely. And because I have, I'm trying to get some guests lined up to talk about their books. Um, one of the books that I'm looking at right now is is talking about the lost wisdom of the uh, from the book of Enoch, and w uh, why 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 did um, uh, Catholic priests and Protestant priests decide that the book of Enoch needed to be removed from the Bible? And talking well, the book about book of that. Enoch is fascinating to me, and we could yeah, there's a lot we can unpack. That's from that's, that. that's another episode, and we and and you and we just we got here because we just wanted to do an episode to catch up on all the space news <laughs> we've been sitting on for a while. So we're going to have all the links um, on the show page. I I, I think that the name of this episode ought to be. Um, 
uh, cave paintings of the sky gods and and other space shit and other and <laughs> and other space stuff because um, um, SoundCloud doesn't like you using um, curse words in the title of your tracks, as no. far as I can tell. But I, I, I think that other space shit it would also be really interesting. Absolutely. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions. And if it's any good, we promise we will read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by Olive Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renner-King-Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on. <laughs>